do you think in the current the current climate people referring to it as a cost of living crisis do you think that dynamic is going to change for the next year or so in terms of the brand's role within category versus versus private label because certainly private labels been growing very quickly over the past two or three months yeah i think consumers are just going to be switching into what is affordable uh, mm-hmm. so what tastes great but what's affordable whether that's a brand or whether that's an own label we probably start seeing that dynamic shift a little bit because i think that part of it may no longer be as important as actually well what's the price of the product So, uh, welcome again to the Innovate podcast, a show where we discuss, dissect, and attempt to rebuild the world of product innovation uh, within consumer goods. Uh, today, I'm delighted to be joined by Indy Kaur, uh, founder and CEO of Plant Futures. Uh, and prior to starting Plant Futures, an extensive career in product innovation in the food and drink industry, uh, the likes of Tesco, uh, Mondelez, uh, and Goo Puddings. Uh, Indy, a uh, big welcome to the Innovate podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you, Ben. Good, good, good. Glad to see you. Um, So just um, so the listeners know a bit more about yourself uh, and Plant Futures, just just give us a bit more on your background. I mentioned businesses like Tesco and Mondelez. Just just tell us kind of uh, where you worked and and, and what innovation you worked on over the past 10, 15 years. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I've been in I've been working in the food industry for probably about 16 to 17 years now. And I started Uh my career um, with Neste. Uh, looking at real blue sky innovation so we did some really fun stuff like extruding chocolate creating the world's thinnest chocolate wafer spraying chocolate so it was a bit of a Willy Wonka job to be fair and then from there I uh, I continued on in sugar confectionery uh, at Cadbury and spent a good few years with Cadbury which was is now Mondelez yeah and then from there just continued on in innovation management and strategy. So a bit of work with Goo, um, Kerry Foods, and also Kinnerton for a while. And then most recently been working with Tesco. So at Tesco, I spent three years where I looked at the UK food trends and developing Tesco's food trends perspective. And then more recently, I was looking at the plant-based strategy. Okay. Uh, so total awesome. cost category, yeah. That's very impressive. And then, and then uh, obviously, lastly, you've set up uh, plant futures so tell us a bit about that business and what it is that you're uh, that you're trying to achieve yeah sure so i i now run plant futures which is a uk plant-based consultancy so i have the chance to work with some really cool plant-based brands own label manufacturers investors and vcs who are entering this market or working with their portfolio brands and then now building relationships with uk retailers that just to help uh, progress the plant-based industry specifically within the UK market. Okay, awesome. All right, well, we'll touch a bit more on that in a, uh, in, in a moment. Just to um, to kind of finish off the getting to know you um, section, the from a plant-based perspective, I guess, what, what's the most exciting city in the UK for uh, plant-based food at the moment from a, an eating out perspective, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it would have to be London. I mean, London's always been a bit of a, a mecca for the f- for food and um the restaurant scene so yeah it really has to be london there's a really great hot spots like brighton and a little bit further north as well but london would be the go-to place if you really want to explore and deep dive into what's happening in culinary food right okay okay 
Um, and, and obviously Plant Futures is your first um, entrepreneurial step in the food industry. What, what would you say to a young person kind of considering joining the food industry, either in one of the bigger businesses like the Tesco where you've worked previously or, or even kind of um, starting their own startup? Yeah, I think for me, like if you're a person that's really interested in, well, food and the business of food, but you genuinely want to make a difference to people's lives just because food is integral to society and pretty much everywhere you go. So if you are fascinated, inquisitive about people, the nature of food and how you can benefit and improve lives. And I think the industry is just brilliant. There's so many fields you can get into within the food industry from buying food to supply chain, food to development, to strategy, various bits. Yeah, it's a sector that everybody's got a view on. Um, yeah. Given every, everybody eats and everybody <laughs> shops at supermarkets and yeah. eats at cafes or restaurants. Okay. Um, and and if, if not the food industry, you know, where would you have loved to have um, spent your career? I think I probably would have done something design related. So um, like woodwork, maybe woodwork fashion right, design. Okay. Not that I know anything <laughs> about fashion but I like fabrics so I don't know something kind of like more manual probably right using using your hands and your creativity yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah. awesome awesome um okay cool well we're gonna get stuck into the um the the main topic of the of the podcast obviously kind of focusing on on an innovation but with a particular lens on the plant-based sector because I think it's it's fair to say it's one of the most exciting places within uh, within food and drink so um we'll we'll kind of touch on some of your 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 previous roles at the likes of tesco and mondelez and understand how those businesses went about um you know, bringing products to market uh, and then and then look at the, the plant-based sector and try and try and uh, roll forward a few years to see what it, what it, what innovation could look like in a few years uh, from now so uh, i guess to get started what what would be your your kind of high level observations on the plant-based sector uh, right now I'd say it's probably one of the, the most dynamic and buoyant sectors of the food industry. It's still new, even though it's been running in the UK for at least four to five years in terms of it establishing itself. But fundamentally, it's still a new category. It is highly buoyant in, in like entrance. Um, we're all still trying to figure it out. It, you know, in realistic terms that we know we need to get to a more sustainable food systems and we are just all trying to figure it out at this stage, which makes it hugely yeah. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What 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 has the plant based sector done really well over the past few years? I guess in, in, in the UK from a retail and food service perspective to enable it to get to that kind of level of awareness that it's at now. Yeah, I think for me the key part is that we had a real clear um retail leader so back in 2018, around 2018, like Tesco led the way and they were genuinely the pioneers of creating the market within the UK, along with Wicked Kitchen as well. So that partnership, yeah. I think, really kind of put a stake in the ground. And it allowed the rest of retail and the rest of the market to kind of like have a leader, know who to follow. And then and then we see plant-based as it is today in, in across all major retailers, each one having their own range and portfolio. Okay. And um, what challenges do you think plant-based sector has ahead of it? Because I think my, my observation, I'm not far from being an expert like you are, but, but looking at the, the retailers, they've all now got a kind of a fixture. They've got a category and it seems quite crowded and um, it's hard to see from a consumer perspective kind of what's next for retail. But, but what challenges do you think plant-based has? Ahead I think of that it? is, yeah, that is one of them. Now, I mean, we've done such a great job across the industry and retail in terms of launching new innovation, really great food, 
affordable prices so you do have a spectrum of entry level prices up to something that's a bit more special and so we, we've done a great job in doing that but now we're getting getting to a point when you stand back from fixture yeah there's a lot in the fixtures so if you're completely new to this category in this market maybe you're going to start feeling overwhelmed there's a lot of choice you may not know what to choose and so that's I think we now need to reassess are those fixtures designed and curated in the way that's going to help more people who currently don't shop that fixture mm -hmm. okay um and from a product innovation perspective what what role do you think product innovation has got within the plant-based sector over the coming months and, and, and years as it tries to kind of expand uh, that consumer base yeah i think product innovation will continue to push the barriers on taste and texture and that's what's really interesting like innovation is coming through all the time there's so many teams working on r d side of plant-based food specifically mm -hmm. within meat alternatives to alternatives and dairy alternatives so food innovation from that perspective but then also the culinary innovation so that's bringing like new ideas to market with just really tasty veg-led food as well so Probably those two things. Food tech plays a key role um, in kind of establishing uh, the new innovation that's coming through as well. Right. Okay. Do you, do you think plant-based has got a little bit um, obsessed by kind of matching and mirroring the, um, the the kind of trying to mimic a burger, trying to mimic bacon, mm -hmm. trying to mimic chicken? Do you, do you think there's a broader scope for uh, innovation within plant-based than just kind of matching stuff from traditional? categories yeah 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 completely I, I mean it's phenomenal the number of meat alternative businesses that i speak to is just phenomenal and there's still new people coming onto the scene yeah but it's which isn't a bad necessarily a bad thing but yes we are highly saturated within that particular space now innovation can also be really simple we don't necessarily need to over egg it like it just could be a really great piece of tofu in a new type of product or it could be us like playing around with mushrooms or new vegetables and creating new textures and flavor experiences just with pure vegetables. So we can look at innovation as being the real food tech side of innovation where we're pushing all that taste, texture, getting to the closest version of animal-based proteins or dairy alternatives yep. or dairy. And But we can also keep innovation really simple. It's like, well, let's just talk about veg. Yeah. I mean, I, I can understand the kind of the matching the, the, the protein, the animal based proteins from the strategy of trying to bring uh, omnivores and more flexitarians into the category. But it does seem to me that there's a there's a potential much broader base of innovation that could be exploited. Yeah, there really is. And like I'm hearing people who are omnivores who don't really want to shop plant based alternatives they just want to they want to eat meat when they want to eat meat but then they want to explore new plant-based food but they just want it from plants so we're still getting this like secondary consumer group that actually want to try plant-based food but they're not looking for a mimic and especially with vegetarians as well so some conversations with vegetarians are basically saying well if they've been a lifelong vegetarian they're not looking for a meat alternative because they've never eaten meat so why would they want to have another you know they, they've never eaten chicken so they're not yeah. looking for meat. So there's these pockets of consumers that are actually are really open, but not necessarily within meat alternatives, which I think is okay. an interesting one to face into. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. It, it, just mm -hmm. touching on innovation 
process uh, for for a moment. Um, how how is the kind of the the approach to innovation different within the plant based businesses that you've either worked for or uh, Tesco or, or worked with in your consultancy, compared to you know what what innovation was like, for example, at, at Nestle and and, and Mondelez. Uh, really good question. So what I'm seeing, and it's an interesting question because I am seeing a difference between the two now, which is quite new. Mm -hmm. um, so traditional innovation, especially within larger corporations, has very much been process driven. So the typical stage and gate process, which was a process and system developed a few decades ago now, yep. which has been kind of like the backbone of how we develop new products across the food industry. So various different stages, probably five stages from idea through to concept testing, through to launch. So on a practical term, it's an efficient system that can help to progress innovation, new product development throughout a corporation. However, I think it does have it at its pitfalls. It, it, it's not the most embracing, it's not the most agile way of developing new products or new innovation. What, has, what we are seeing within plant-based is a much more agile way of plant-based development. And that is spearheaded by young entrepreneurs who just take on an opportunity, they put it, get it into, get it up and running into market, and then they are doing a bit more of the iteration once it's in market. So that part of that way of innovating is a bit more like what we see in the test uh, in the technology sector, where it is more agile, more test and learn. And I think that's the second second version of innovation processes that I'm seeing. But we don't often see that way of working in corporates. They're that's interesting that way. Yeah. okay yeah, that's interesting because the, there are obviously a lot of entrepreneurs within the plant-based sector equally there are a lot of very big companies a big big meat companies for example who are starting kind of um plant-based offshoots do, so do you think those kind of big corporates are likely to struggle to embrace that that kind of agile mindset I just don't think many corporates are set up that way so it can be done because I think large corporations can gear themselves up for that way of working but I've not yet seen that system in place now incubator programs in corporates could be could follow suit so mm -hmm. an incubator program which is built of a core team of people with all of the uh, cross-functional skill sets required to focus in on one particular type of project and then see that through, that could be a new way of working in a more agile way, just because you're able to react very quickly because you've got less people and fewer decision makers within the mix. So that could be one, a way to speed up innovation, the innovation process, but also to be closer to the market and have opportunities to iterate. Yeah, okay, okay. When I describe the plant-based sector in terms of innovation, I often kind of talk about R&D as opposed to innovation or, or iteration in other categories. Do, do you think that's a fair? Do you think that's a fair description? Is it a little bit more scientific and lab-based lab in its uh, in its nature? Um, R&D within plant-based. Yeah. Yeah. Um, R&D within plant-based. Yes, very lab in in nature. If you're going down the alternatives route, yeah, hugely. Right. And so very much food science and technology and process engineering all coming together, which right, is probably right. how um, how the industry in other areas would have been. Like if I think about the chocolate industry, to get to those high speed lines, that's how it would have been back then. Um, yeah. But yeah, we're very much more on the technology side. And then on the innovation side, I'd probably say 
it depends on how you want to define innovation really because i think innovation can be like what's new what's really great what's really exciting but i think some innovation can just be really simple as well and it could just be a new and novel idea not necessarily backed with technology but just something that's an innovative way of doing something or um a new innovation where there's a gap in the market right okay that's interesting so you you so your experience of the chocolate category was that that was quite high in R&D levels when you were there. Do you, do you think that some of those categories have kind of lost that slightly R&D, more scientific approach to product development? Or is it is it still there? It's just not very, it's, it's a little hidden, I guess. I think it's still there, but there's just less areas to play now because a lot of innovation has been created within chocolate and confectionery. So now we're now within that industry is looking at well like sugar reduction how do you keep the same texture and reduce sugar or within mm -hmm. chocolate it might be how do we keep the same creaminess and reduce the fat and make things healthier so the innovation r&d is still there but it's probably not at the magnitude as what we're seeing in the plant-based industry where there's just a lot to go after versus yep. categories that have been well established for many years Right. Okay. Okay. Now that's interesting. Um, and then you, you're in an interesting position that you've worked at retailers and uh, branded businesses. What What are your kind of high level observations on the differences between private label product development and branded product development? Private label development. Um, it's just, I suppose, when you're developing with for the retailer, you're very close to the customer. So it is all about the customer and what was great at Tesco was it was just about serving the customers and mm -hmm. the role of own label within that so creating inspirational healthy affordable accessible food but then the role of brands plays a really important um play, brands play a key part as well because there's certain things that retailers can't do like a brand can build authenticity around a new product category a retailer can launch a breadth of range and really great tasting affordable food, but not necessarily have the same level of authenticity and relationship like a brand can have with the with consumers. So brands can really help to create markets, bring people into the market, build that relationship between consumer and brand, bring, bring that authenticity, and then backed with retailers who can then grow the market and really kind of build onto that and expose the market and its potential. Okay, that's interesting. Do you think? Do you think in the current, the current climate, people referring to it as a cost of living crisis? Do you think that dynamic is going to change for the next year or so in terms of the brand's role within category versus versus private label? Because certainly private label has been growing very quickly over the past two or three months. Yeah, I think consumers are just going to be switching into what is affordable. Uh, mm -hmm. So what tastes great, but what's affordable? Whether that's a brand or whether that's an own label, we'll probably start seeing that dynamic shift a little bit because I think that part of it may no longer be as important as actually, well, what's the price of the product? Um, so, yeah, so I think there will definitely be some shifting within that space. There'll be some brands that will always be their loyal, your loyal brand, but that's a one-on-one -on -one relationship. Like for me, I love Oatly's Milk. I'll continue to buy Oatly's dairy free, like dairy alternative milk. Yeah. Um, but I might compromise in other areas. So th there'll be very specific examples between consumers and certain brands, but that'll be their one-to-one -one relationship 
where they may not compromise. But on a general term, yes, we'll probably see some shifting now in terms of loyalty and price. Okay. And do, do you think the cost of living crisis is likely to present a, a bit of a slowdown for the plant-based sector in the next year? Or do you think it's an opportunity and we, you know, the, the plant-based sector can get more and more consumers in um, during this crisis? Yeah, I think if if we're really smart as leaders across the food industry, we will be seeing plant-based as being part of the solution because plant-based food can be the cheapest and healthiest form of eating. Yeah. And some vegetables are relatively cheap and affordable. So if we're smart leaders, we can see plant-based as being a part of the solution versus any nervousness that we may see the market or category declining. Certain mm -hmm. elements like, you know, expensive meat alternatives, yeah, we probably will see a drop in some of those areas in the short term, but that doesn't mean the industry of plant-based needs to decline. It just means that we need to make, maybe just make some tweaks into, well, how do we translate plant-based eating into this current economical climate? Okay. And, and, and in terms of the, the upcoming kind of big ingredient um, trends within plant-based, where, where do you think uh, the sector is heading in terms of the, the kind of the innovation focus, I guess, for the next couple of years? Yeah, for the next few years, certainly. We'll keep, keep on going in a similar trajectory. Like meat alternatives... So that food tech side of meat alternatives and dairy alternatives will continue on the same trajectory. I'm not seeing that slow down at any moment, really, in mm -hmm. terms of the innovation within those spaces. We will see start seeing newness in terms of how we can capitalise on vegetables and the purity of vegetables and create great food just with like vegetables or natural proteins like tofu or seitan coming to start playing a role. Um, and then just things like, you know, bringing back the diversity of plants, diversity of plants, diversity of proteins. So we no longer need to just have access to a few types of protein sources. We're actually opening up consumers' eyes into a variety of protein sources, which is actually healthier than keeping it down to just a few protein sources in your daily diet. So we'll, yeah, probably like just those few trajectories, meat alternatives, dairy alternatives, will just keep going as they are. Um, then more the purity of vegetables, veg-led. And then just like natural proteins and diversity of proteins. Um, I do do some work in gut health as well. And I think gut health is a really nice link between plant-based eating and, uh, and a good gut health, just because the two cross over quite a lot. You, you need to have a good diversity of plants in your diet to have a good gut health. Right. Okay. Okay. So when you say gut health, is that... Um, mostly kind of um, dairy and, and, and drink type products or does that touch on, on, on multiple different categories now? Yeah, fiber plays a really key role. So fiber, pre and probiotics. So fiber plays an absolute key role and natural fibers are best sourced when they come from whole foods. So whole foods of um, high fibrous fruits, vegetables, um, like grains, things like that. Okay. And um, so that's yeah. So from those whole foods, and then yes, what we see show up in retail are like the gut health shots, um, which are also there. So and yogurts and fermented foods. Okay. Um, thinking about the the future, uh, a moment, kind of casting our minds forward, you know, four or five years. Uh, what 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 do you think product innovation is likely to look like in 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 retail first of all? So kind of I guess thinking about. <clears throat> Tesco, for example, what in terms of process, in terms of how they approach it, what, what do you think it will look like in a few years' time? 
in three, four years' time. I'm really interested, actually. I think we're all at a place in the UK retail industry where we just need to figure out what do we do next in mm -hmm. genuine terms. Like, I think the total UK plant base has done really well in terms of establishing the category, matter ticking the box. All most retailers have a dedicated space in store, so within chilled, within frozen, grocery typically within parent categories for ambient food. Asda have gone with a, a, a space, a dedicated space in store. So we've all done that. So now it's kind of more, well, what do we actually do next as an industry? And I think this is a really important moment in time for us within plant-based is, well, so what is that next move? Like what's going to be the next play? How do we get more, I'm focusing on um, carnivores. How do we get more carnivores now to shop into this fixture? And I think focusing on carnivals will really change what some of those solutions and answers are going to be. So typically within the first four years, we had there was a natural tendency to focus on vegans, make sure vegans are really well mm. catered for. Think about flexitarians who are actively looking to reduce their meat intake. They will continue to grow. Like We will continue to see a fair, sizable growth in a number of years. But now I think the combination conversation needs to switch into carnivals. And I think we'll, when we start focusing on carnivals, we'll start coming up with a different solutions which is going to which is a bit that i'm really interested in though right okay and do, do you think that would result in in um, plant-based actually being merchandised in lots of different categories as opposed to kind of a standalone fixture within within retail that's not necessarily kind of well set up to attract carnivores yeah i would be interested to start looking at some running some trials within retail and, and just running trial in some pilot stores of plant-based food being uh like for like products being merchandised together and then similarly learning from a trial where it is in fixture. And I think until we do an actual physical trial in some pilot stores, we probably won't have the answer to that question just yet. Right. OK. OK. Um, and, and just thinking about innovation process and so not, not just plant based, but just, you know, process uh, generally. Do you, do you think that, that there's likely to be an ongoing role for stage and gate process within innovation? Um, or do you do you think it needs to be replaced because it's out, it's outdated and there's lots of more interesting ways of bringing products to market at scale? I think it's definitely timely to be reviewed, and I've been thinking that for a number of years now because it's a risk prohibitive approach in a way. It's a very logical way of working. The food industry isn't always logical, so consumers don't always apply logic to their purchases. And I think. We need to start bringing in a bit more of a fluid system when we develop new products and new innovation for consumers. Mm -hmm. The saving aid process does serve a purpose. Like it does provide a framework for corporations to work around, especially when large organizations are a bit more on the siloed. Everything's in departments, everything sits in its function. So it, it does certainly serve a purpose. But I think we can start bringing the two worlds together a little bit now. I think we can bring that entrepreneurial spark and flair and bring it into the staging gate process and just reevaluate well, what does that mean then? How does that change the way we, um, how we innovate? And I do believe that we should be doing more pilot trials in market before doing national launches and distribution launches. And I okay. think that would be a really savvy and uh, cost-effective way to look at innovation. And do, you, do you think it's easier for uh, the bigger brands maybe to move away from staging gate just because they launch at just a lower volume of products? Or do you think retailers and, and brands should be looking to kind of move away and, and adopt more agile practices? I'd actually say that I think it's easier for retailers to move away from traditional staging gate okay. just because they have easy access to stores and to consumers. 
as a branded business um so when i think of like cabri and mondelez i'd say it's more difficult just because they don't have that retail like the shell they don't have that retail space they would need to then work in partnership with retailers to be able to create that experience in store on a pilot level so i think it's harder for a brand and and also for a brand they generally have to invest the capital into any new manufacturing setup so there is a, a an amount of due diligence that needs to go ahead before that capital is invested so i think sage and gate is important it, two different two different processes basically a sage and gate an innovation process in in brands would be i think would be different to the way that retailers innovate which i'm just thinking out loud but it makes a lot of sense now um <laughs> so yeah and, and it comes down to the capital investment that the brand would need to make like an fmcg need, needs to invest <clears> quite <throat> a bit into a new manufacturing line so you want to make sure that that investment is going to be right yeah. Um, so yeah, so a different purpose for stage and gate in corporate, a different process versus how to innovate within retail. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we are uh, running out of time, unfortunately, yeah. Indy. But let's just look yeah. at the uh, look at some of the stuff that you've seen across the market over the last year. I guess we'll kind of focus again on plant based. What what's the 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 best product launch that you've seen in the last two or three years uh, within uh, the plant based sector? Um. Mm, best product launch I've seen in plant-based sector. I think I think across the board we've done really well in plant-based. I think being able to create all the products that have been created and for us, I mean, go minus four or five years ago, this didn't exist. Like we had corn, we had some key brands, players, Linda McCartney, we had um, Cauldron, for example. Within the space of four years, we've created a phenomenal amount of really great tasting new food products, which is, yeah. I've never seen anything like that in such a short space of time. But yeah. looking a little bit more forward, like what I really like to talk about is Luya. Uh, so Luya is a Swiss food tech. They're taking the Acara, the byproduct from tofu manufacturing, right. a high fibrous byproduct, which, and there's a lot of it in the world, but they figured out how to create a biomass meat from it. I think that's really interesting. I think YoFix, another food tech from Israel, where they just take three or they have a product with five plants, no additives, no staplers, and they're creating a really great versatile dairy alternative base. So I'm super excited about the stuff that's on the horizon, but available from now and over the next couple of years. So this short term, like what's here and now, is super exciting. And right. there are two brands I particularly like to talk about, well, two technologies I like to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Now that's interesting. Those are very, very high R and D kind of centric uh, innovations that you've just described there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which sound really impactful for sure. Um, Indy, it's been delightful talking to you. Um, thank you very much for your time today. Um, thank you very much, Ben. Yeah. No, no, no worries at all. It's been a pleasure to have you on. So all that remains is for me to say uh, thank you very much to Indy Core, founder and CEO of Plant Futures, uh, and we will see you on the next episode of the Innovate Podcast. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks. We really hope you enjoyed that episode of the Innovate podcast. To hear more bi-weekly episodes, please hit the subscribe button below. Thank you.